Welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. All right, folks, you asked for it, and you got it. Here begins the Pairing Harry Potter series. In these first two episodes, I had the absolute joy of talking about HP and the Sorcerer's Stone, or the Philosopher's Stone, with my best friend in the whole wide world, who I've known since I was two, Emma Cohen. We grew up reading these books together, and so hopefully these first couple episodes capture the magic of what it was like growing up with this series, and hopefully our incessant giggling doesn't bother you too much. What's so great about Harry Potter is that not only can you watch the characters grow, develop, mature, and gain complexity, but you can watch the same thing happen with J.K. Rowling's writing. Just like not only can wine itself age and mature, but over time, different wine regions can grow and gain complexity. The vignerons and viticulturists in that area learn how to work with the terroir, what works best, how they can be creative, how they can develop a tradition. Just like, I would argue, J.K.R. was doing while writing these books. So for these episodes, I am going to focus a little more on New World wine regions. I'm not going to go quite into the same amount of depth, or rather breadth, that I did for the Lord of the Rings episodes, in that I'm going to give you just one wine region for each book that I think best captures the essence of that book. Like I did with the Middle Earth and Old World wine series, I'll give you recommendations for producers and more specific sites. Then we'll get into the nitty-gritty of the book and pair different wines and grapes with different characters and just have fun with it. I won't necessarily stick entirely to New World wines throughout the whole discussion, but hopefully this will give you more of a sense. The wine region that I'm focusing on in these first two episodes is one that I've barely talked about on the podcast so far. Chile. I'm really excited about this series, and I can't wait to talk more about these thus far neglected wine regions through the lens of maybe the most seminal books of my childhood. Thank you so much to our newest patron, Zoe McCaden, and as always, to our advanced, aka producer-level patron, Mara Zobrist. These two, as well as our other patrons, are the Hagrid to our Harry Potter, and I am so grateful to all of you for being a part of our community. If you are interested in becoming a pairing patron, come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can get rewards like show notes, audio extras, live streams, personalized pairings, and more. Also, thank you so much to all of you who have left us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you are enjoying the show and haven't gotten around to leaving a review, I mean, Thanksgiving is coming up, and I would love to give you thanks for your review. Also, hopefully this goes without saying, but there are definitely spoilers in these episodes, so if somehow you haven't read the whole Harry Potter series yet, beware before listening. Without further ado, here is episode 23, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, part one. So I am here today... I'm very excited because I am joined by my best friend in the entire world, Emma Cohen. Hello. <laughs> so all of you who've heard me say that my best friend's name is Emma and just thought I was a crazy person, I'm not. She's real. You can tell our voices are different, right? I know I exist. Yes. I have a different voice and everything. Yes. Different hair. Everything. <laughs> yeah. Everything is slightly different, but similar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Similar in height. Similar yes. in, yep. in half-Jewishness. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and we are here... I, I wanted to bring Emma here to record these episodes about a, a seminal 
book in our childhood, mm-hmm. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. I know, I know we're the only people for whom that is the case. Oh, just us. Yeah, just us. We're the only people who know about it. <laughs> the only ones who like it. Yep, yep. The only ones who have read it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so what I'm going to do for the Harry Potter s- series of episodes on pairing is... So on the, the Lord of the Rings, the Middle Earth and Old World Wine series, what I was doing is pairing each place in the Lord of the Rings with a, an old world wine region, so a European wine region. So we're going to do something different for Harry Potter. Um, and I'm not going to go into quite the depth and breadth that I did with the Lord of the Rings, but I am going to give you one new world wine region for every book. And I, I apologize, Queen is really not happy about uh, the whole be quiet thing, so she's... She's we just, got a loud kitty in here. She oh she went in the <laughs> she's in the she's in the suitcase. Okay, so that little background noise, if you can hear that, that's that's just the cat in the suitcase. It's always better to have a cat. Kitty. Right, buddy? Kitty. Are you just gonna settle down or are you gonna She's excited about Harry she Potter is. too? She's super excited. Um we've been watching the Harry Potter movies. Yes, we have. And she loves watching the movies. She thinks they're great. She thinks, uh, you know, Rupert Grint is really underrated as an actor. And, as yeah. we all do. Oh, indeed, indeed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, so I'm going to start off, I think, just by talking about the New World Wine region that I'm going to pair with the first Harry Potter book, mm. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or the Philosopher's Stone, if you are in the UK. Um, I still think it's funny that there's two different names for the book. I have always thought that was funny. Yeah. It doesn't it, really make sense to me. I mean, I... I guess it's just that philosopher has a slightly different meaning in that's true in the context, and so Americans would be like the philosopher's stone. Like, why does the philosopher what? have a stone anyway? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's a philosopher. What does he name with a stone? Okay. Um, so anyway, so Chile is the region that I'm going to pair with the first book, and this is why. So Chile actually has a really old history of of winemaking dating back to like the 16th century, the 1500s, when Spanish missionaries brought grapes over, and uh, and so so it has a very old history. But Chilean wine, as we know it now, is very modern. So they kind of revamped their whole their whole winemaking program, if you will, um, sort of in the in the late eighties, early nineties. So the Chilean wine, as we know it now, is very new and modern. Basically, to make it commercially accessible, internationally commercially accessible wine, they, instead of having these native, not native, but the these kind of obscure Spanish grapes, which is what they normally grew there, um, they brought over from France French varietals. So Cabernet Sauvignon, Sauvignon Blanc, Carmenere. Um, <laughs> 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 Carmenier, so so Emma had an experience with Carmenier. Uh, I did. Yes. On my flight on the way here, yeah. I met a um, a woman who owned a wine store in West Virginia who was telling me- If you're me, listening, hey. Hey. Thanks for listening. <laughs> um, who was telling me all about Carmenier and wanted me to make sure I remembered the name yeah. to tell Emma when I said I was coming here for this. Um, yes. Yeah, on my exactly, flight over. <laughs> exactly. So Carmenier is one of the quote unquote lost grapes of Bordeaux. It is a, it is a Bordeaux varietal, but Chile kind of made it famous, but it is kind of looked down upon in the wine community, I would say. I personally don't have a problem with Carmenier, but a lot of people hate it. Hmm. And I, I 
think it's totally fine. Uh, and I've never it, had it. So it, it's 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 sort of it's somewhere between Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm. It's 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 kind of earthy. It's got this kind of like green pepper kind of pyrazine note to it that a lot of people really don't like. Interesting. It's not my favorite, but I don't. It doesn't make me mad or anything. It makes a lot of people <laughs> mad. Yeah. So so that's so that's Carmenere. But um, so so Chilean wine is kind of up in up and coming, which seems weird to say because it's actually so old. Hmm. Um, and so the reason why I chose Chile for the first book is that this was a new, a brand new thing at the time. And so it was an up and coming series. Yes, it was. Indeed. And I remember it well. And also, uh, in terms of Chilean wine, people don't really talk about, besides Carmenere, people don't really talk about, you know, Chilean wine history they kind of just cite you know oh there's spanish influence here and there's french influence here which i think about like when the sorcerer's stone came out people were i mean they were entranced by it and it was magical and wonderful but people kept saying oh she's the new role doll oh she's taking things from tolkien oh she's taking things from you know so there you know a lot of people dumbledore is like gandalf exactly like a lot of people were focusing on how she was taking from other influences, which everyone does, and focusing a little less on uh, her in a, her own innovation, though it was yes. there for sure, for sure. Yes, because how I feel about it is that it's very obvious these influences. Yet she took all of these influences and made this kind of magical new thing, of course, from them. And so the wine that we're drinking tonight. Or actually, <laughs> it's it's the morning, and and it it's just me drinking because I may have one sip. But, yeah, there uh, there we go. But uh, Emma is you know not as hardcore as I am, so she's not drinking this sparkling rosé because I'm super hardcore. But she yeah, is, and and like, I'm not. <laughs> it's like it's like a brunchy cocktail. But so I discovered this wine a little while ago, and it's and it's called the Estelado Sparkling Rosé from Miguel Torres. Torres is actually a big Spanish wine company, but they have a branch in Chile. And I had never heard of this grape before, but it's called Pais. And Pais is actually one of the few original grapes that was brought over. And what I learned about this grape that I think is really cool is that it's also known as Mission. In I think in California it's called Mission because missionaries brought it over. Not very, not very creative. Um, but interesting. But interesting. And what I like is that in Chile, they renamed the grape Pais, which means country or land. And so I, I like thinking of it as if they're reclaiming, you know, the the missionaries coming over, stealing their land. <laughs> and, you know, you know, we're not going to get into that in this in this. Episode. But I like the idea but of I like, reclaiming. I like the idea of reclaiming, making it their own. And so this is a sparkling rosé made from the Pais grape, um, which is delicious. And, uh, you know, easy drinking, delightful, kind of like the book is kind of like easy reading and delightful. Yes. But it has a, a, a more interesting history and foundation than you might know at first sip mm. or first read. Indeed. Yes. Not not a stretch at all. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to taste this wine. Okay, I'm ready. Happy, happy brunch. That is delicious. Super dry. Can I have a small sip? Please do. Mm. Oh, that is really delicious. Isn't that good? Yeah. yeah. Nice brunch wine. Right. Nice brunch wine. Great wine to be drinking while you're reading or watching The Sorcerer's Stone. Absolutely. So let's get into it. So so what I was thinking that we might do is 
go through the book kind of chapter by chapter, not in the depth that some, you know, Harry Potter themed podcasts like Harry Potter and the Sacred Text and one of my personal favorites, Potterless, do. Uh, they go into a little more depth than we're going to go into, mm-hmm. but we're going to go through chapter by chapter. We watched the movie last night, We have and, and, and so we've got that on the mind as well. And uh, we're going to go through, talk about what's going on, talk about our experience and our our childhood growing up with these books. This was a big part of it, It was too. a huge part of it. And and we'll, we'll tell you more about that as we go on. Mm, yes. Emma, Emma and my personal experience <laughs> with Harry Potter. Sounds like it's going to be dirty, but it's not. It's not. But, no. <laughs> no. But the books were coming out. We grew up at a camp, living yeah. at a camp over the summers together. And the books always came out over the summer. So I feel like marks of our childhood yeah. were these books coming out every yeah. summer and us so scrambling to read them. So I would get the book first, usually, yes, and I would read it, and then I would give it to Emma, and she would read it in about half the amount of time that I read <laughs> it, because Emma's a really fast reader. So uh, that's that's sort of what what our, you know, little tradition Because that way we didn't was. have to wait that long to talk about it. Exactly. I would also, as someone who goes to bed very early, because I yes. um, have always just been... I don't and, know. And, I'm a, and I'm a night owl, just like Hedwig. Yes, just like Hedwig. Just like Hedwig. But for the Harry Potter books, I would wake up early and stay up late just to see if I could finish it in like mm-hmm. one day. <laughs> well, that's that's what you got to do. That's I mean, what you got to do. No kids today who read Harry Potter don't know what it was like to have to wait a full year to two. Well, so so what I didn't remember, mm-hmm. um, and I was and I was looking back at this is um, is that the the first four books came out sequentially once mm-hmm. once a year. So so Sorcerer's Stone came out in 97, Chamber of Secrets 98, Prisoner of Azkaban 99, Goblet of Fire, uh, right? Yeah, Goblet of Fire mm-hmm. 2000, but then Order of the Phoenix didn't come out till 2003. So oh. I forgot how horrible those 3 years I of I think my I blocked that were. trauma from my memory. I know, yeah. <laughs> Like and I then, don't, re- I don't remember that. Yeah, and then the last three years, the last three years <laughs> between yeah. Harry Potter books, and then uh, Half Blood Prince came out two thousand five, and then Deathly Hallows two thousand seven. And I remember at that point we were both the age that Harry, Ron, and Hermione were, so we really felt like we had grown up and uh, experienced this journey with them. Yes, and it was, it was amazing, it heartbreaking, was... and all the all <sighs> the things. So what I so what I think we'll do is let's just go through it chapter by chapter. Great. We'll talk about it. If I have thoughts, I do one thing I want to do if I can, if I can manage it, if I can muster it. I haven't really planned for this, so I'll just be winging it. <laughs> um, I was going to make another headwig joke, but I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> keeping the dad jokes to a minimum. So one thing, so I do want to pair a different wine with Harry, Ron, and Hermione, at least, for all the seven books. So, mm. Because I think you do see them grow and mature. You do. And and so it's fun to, to think, you know, what wine... What wine they would be drinking <laughs> when they were 11 years old. I bet you can tell me. I bet I bet I can. I mm-hmm. bet I can think about it. All right. So let's so let's dive in. Emma, here is here is your book. Thank your you. Your copy of Oh, Queen's coming out. She's coming out of the suitcase. She's oh. got thoughts. Hey Hi, Queen. Honey. Hey Kitten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. See, she wants to be part of it too. Yeah, she says Harry's definitely the Nebbiolo. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Harry in the first book is Nebbiolo. So the first chapter, chapter one. The Boy Who Lived. The Boy Who Lived. So iconic. And mm-hmm. 
well, what what I love about the story in the book that you don't get in the movies mm-hmm. is like all the hubbub that happens before the scene with Dumbledore and McGonagall. It's like a day in the life of Vernon Dursley. Yes. And, and him seeing like weird people and stuff happening. Yes. And I do understand why they did the movie the way they did, because I think that how it's written would be very hard yeah. to translate into a film. But now Queen is a... Uh, chewing up the cardboard box because she can't not do that. I know hey. we told her not to, but she... <laughs> hey, hey. Shockingly, she didn't listen. Yeah, shockingly, <laughs> the cat did not listen. Yeah. But I do think that that scene in the beginning of the book gives you such a um, a feel for, I mean, like for the writing and for the characters and for the, the story, world, for yeah. the whole world. It kind of brings Absolutely. you immediately into that world. Absolutely. And it's it's so dark. You know, like, it's a children's book, but it's so dark. And one thing that we were talking about last night is, like, how scary. I think I read the book when I was nine years old or something, first time, eight or nine years old. Yeah, 97, we would have been, like, eight. And I read it right when it came out. Yeah, yeah. And um, I I just, I remember being so scared by some things in this book. Definitely. Like, and we'll we'll get to the parts that were really, really scary. But, um, but But just the whole premise, like... This kid was just, his parents were just murdered. And yeah. And, like, for him to find out at the age of 11 that, like, as an infant, someone had ostensibly pointed a weapon at him and actually tried to kill him. I don't know. There's something yeah. about that when you're reading it as a kid that yeah. doesn't really land as when you're an adult. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, that's really dark. Totally. Totally. And so, so there's this whole first chapter. You meet the Dursleys. Meet the Dursleys, and um, and you start to get a sense of like the wizarding world. And then you meet Dumbledore yep. and McGonagall. And so, so on some podcasts, people people have demeaned the the name of uh, Dumbledore's little device that that uh, puts out lights, which is the put outer. <laughs> um, it be, I think it becomes, does it become like the deluminator or something? I think it becomes the deluminator. Yeah. But in this, it's the put outer, which people, some people uh, on other podcasts and other, in other walks of life have said is the stupidest name ever. I think it's JK Rowling being like tongue in cheek and like clever. Me like, too. Like I've always liked it in yeah. a tongue in cheek kind of way. Yeah. Like so, I think, I think she's being, I think she's being like a little clever and sassy. Yeah. Um, and she's like, I'm going to come up with great names for some things, and I'm going to come up with very silly names for others. Yeah. Let's not forget, it is a children's book. Yes. Especially this first book. Yeah, especially the first book. Yeah. And I remember loving that as a kid, actually, yeah. the put-outer. I thought that was, like, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, I thought yeah. it was so funny. Totally. Um, and so then we get... So the Dursleys kind of learning about... That something's going on. Yeah. And that's the part that we miss in the movie. Right. I think I understand why they did that, but it's... I do, too. You know, and, and we were saying last night, watching the movies um, that... Or watching the first movie, that they there's not a ton that they didn't include in the movie. Like, yeah, like especially the first considered. movie. Yeah. Yes, because, like, going forward, starting particularly with book three slash movie three, they really start, you know, having to pick and choose a little bit more and take a little bit more artistic license yeah and and i like some of the choices and i don't like some of the choices that the films made but you know a lot of people hate on the first two movies that chris columbus made Mm -hmm. again 
we were talking about this last night. They 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 feel like Christmas movies. They feel almost like yeah, like kids Christmas. Mo- yeah, and, and and that was their intended audience. Really, was totally kids. I yeah. mean, well, let's see, because the the movies came out. I think the first one came out two thousand one, mm-hmm. so or 2000, 2001, something like that. So just shortly after A Goblet of Fire had been released. Yeah. So they didn't know yet, in theory, how fucking dark this was going to get. Seriously. <laughs> like, I watched, I watched all the movies last, last week, and I was like, oh my god, this is so dark. And, and, and the films get, they kind of echo the bleakness of the, of the books in the last few films. Yeah. But, like, I recently watched, I think, um, you know, Deathly Hollows Part One. Yeah, and it's so like gray and bleak, mm-hmm. as opposed to the first movie, which is filmed. Like I actually think that the, yeah. that the movie got the feel that J.K. Rowling writes so well, like of this world in the book. I yeah. feel like the film kind of got that feel. Like I felt. Like, I agree. I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense, but that the yeah. movie felt like the book. Yeah, and I and I think that you know a lot of people who didn't necessarily grow up reading the books when they came out might not be because because the first movies are a little bit lighter and fluffier yeah than, <laughs> no pun intended oh. <laughs> fluffy fluffy and a dog oh bringing it all back stop me <laughs> um so so uh queen okay so yeah, so that's so and and you know there's Hagrid flying in on the motorcycle, which is so I love what I do love, and I don't know to what extent J.K. Rowling had everything planned out. I don't think she had everything planned out, but I love the way she kind of brings everything back. You know, like the put outer does come back in the yes, last book, it does. and Hagrid is flying Sirius Black's motorcycle, right? And um, and he's and just, we just don't know it yet. Exactly, know? exactly. And so I love all these little hints and clues to what's happening, even if it was not intentional on her part. Yeah, um, and that's I, what brings me back to reading these books over and over again. Absolutely, it's like there's I, always something new, yeah. to, to discover, and I never get sick of them. One thing I yeah. will say that I think, um, in Peering back through the book, which, you know, I've read many times mm-hmm. in my life, mm-hmm. um, upwards of 10 probably, but yeah. that I think they don't do as much in the movie is that I think in the book, Dumbledore still has the same kind of um, presence, mm-hmm. um, but he's goofier in the book. He says yes. goofier things in the book. I I have mixed feelings about both Richard Harris and Michael Gambon mm-hmm. as Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Richard Harris kind of was the perfect look Agreed. For, for Dumbledore. Like, he looked exactly like I pictured Dumbledore. Yes, he did. And Michael Gambon made a lot of strange choices as Dumbledore. Like, and But I think that I liked his performance a lot more because he was making him weird and zany. Yeah. And... And not exactly in the way that I imagined, but I liked that he was... No, me too. A little weirder. Gravity was sort of the word I was trying to think of before. Yes. Like, Dumbledore gravitas. can... Gravitas. Can, like, has this kind of commanding, like, gravity about him because he's, you know, the most powerful wizard in the world. But he is he is pretty zany, especially in these first books. Like... Yeah. He he comes out with these really zany, goofy one-liners, and he's yeah. always eating the funny sweets. And right, well, and part of what we were talking about is like Dumbledore is not really a character until sort of book three, 
sort of book four. Yeah. And but like for the most part, he's just kind of there and kind of zany. And you know that he's supposed to be the greatest wizard in the world. But he's always conveniently missing when like shit goes down. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is which, the thing about Dumbledore. Which, yes. Yes. And so and, you know, to whatever extent. And, and, and that's part of what's cool about Dumbledore. So while we're talking about Dumbledore, let me think what wine might pair well with Dumbledore mm, in yes. this book. Um, so we're talking, he's like kind of zany, he's there, he's kind of mysterious, but you, you don't know a ton about him. He's yep. supposedly the greatest wizard in the world, but, but y- y- we don't see that much of him in, yes. in this book necessarily. The, the most we see of him is with the mirror of Erised. Yes. And, uh, that, that's kind of the most intimate that we see Dumbledore with yes, his conversation. His with presence Harry. is there, but it's not very. Int- yeah. you don't get like you don't get a feel of who he really is, yeah. other than this big presence. You exactly, know? and um, and and oh, and just to clarify, so I, I I'm pairing New World wine regions with with each of the books, but I might pair like Old World wines with some of the, with some of the characters. Mm, yes, I'm I'm branching out here. So uh, what I would say for Dumbledore is that I'm kind of thinking he's like a he's he's a a white wine, like like an Alsatian Pinot Gris or something that's like sort of weird, sort of mysterious, like you don't see it all the time mm-hmm. and you don't uh I don't know. We'll 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 revisit that, but that's my first that's my first instinct. I think that's like, a good first instinct. It's like a an Alsatian white wine. Like delicious, fabulous, some of the best white wine in the world, but how much do we really know about it? Unless you study wine, probably not that much. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know anything. There you go. Um, so, I don't know. That's maybe a little bit of a stretch. But that's that's my first instinct. And for McGonagall, who we actually see a lot more of in the first book we do. or two. She's, and speaking she, of a character, I love both in the book and yeah, the movie. Yeah. Because. Oh, my God. Ugh. She's amazing. Uh, Maggie, Maggie Smith, Smith. Is, is perfect. But for her, I think... A little more like like I just mentioned this grape, but but like a Nebbiolo from from Italy from Piedmont because it's a yeah. grape that is kind of light in body and has a lot of like fruitiness and night like it's very nice and pretty, but then it's got so much tannin to it, and so it's a little deceptive because though I think McGonagall is the opposite, she's like rough and tough, but actually has a really soft heart. Yeah, so, so it sort of mirrors it in that yeah, way, but flips it a little bit. Exactly. Where at first she seems so hard and tough, but yeah. then you realize how much yeah. she actually cares. Yeah, I think I think McGonagall would like a like would drink a Barolo Barbaresco. I think she's she's that kind of kind of gal. Yeah, yeah. All right. So next chapter, we might go through these a little bit. Some we might spend more time on than others. Yes. But. So there's the vanishing glass. Um, we're with Dudley's birthday trip. Ah, uh, yes, Dudley's. <laughs> to the zoo. Oh, Dudderkins. Um, so, so in this, you know, we get to see a little bit more of the Dursleys and how horrible they are. And you know, we were talking last night about. I mean, I think that Fiona Shaw and Richard Griffiths are. Oh, just, they were perfect. They're just perfect, perfectly cast. Um, Fiona Shaw's facial expressions alone yeah, in that I know, film I know. are worth watching I, it for. I, I'm i only sad that we don't get more of the Dursleys so that we don't get more of her. Because yes. Fiona Shaw is one of my favorite actors in yes. the world. She and that was amazing. a brilliant casting she, choice, yes. in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure someone could disagree with me, but they'd be wrong. Yes. In our humble opinion. <laughs> in our humble opinion. Fiona Shaw's uh, the best. Yeah. <laughs> and so they go they go to the zoo mm-hmm. and this is where Harry learns that he can talk to snakes, which he doesn't really think about too much. At the yep. time. And he doesn't, like, have a 
Or does he have a conversation with him in the book? He does have a conversation. He does have a conversation. Um, in the movie, he doesn't really have a conversation. He's just, like, talking at him. Yeah, and I think the snake, even in the um, book, doesn't respond. Mm-hmm. But he nods, he shakes his head, mm-hmm. he kind of points at the sign because he's behind the glass. But he right. can hear Harry talk, and it winks at him Right in the book. Right. Does that happen in the movie? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think it winks. I don't remember. I think they get a kind of realistic looking snake. That would be hard to make it wink. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, the snake nodded vigorously. That's uh-huh. in the book. Yep, um, yep. Bred in ca- captivity. So. Yeah. And then he says, thanks. Oh, yes. He does. Yes. He thanks. does talk once in the book. Oh, yeah. And this this does, I think, I think other people have complained about this before, but he says, Brazil, here I come. Thanks, amigo. Amigo is Spanish. In Brazil, they speak Portuguese. It's okay. Yes. <laughs> it's okay. We'll let you have this one, J.K. Rowling. Yeah. <laughs> the one mistake. No. Yeah. Yeah, maybe sure not the one. Other. Yeah, yeah, there but, are others. But, but that, that, that's, that's one that uh, people have called her out on. Yes. Um, but, you know, we get it. We get it. Um, I hope that the snake is living happily in Brazil. So, and then... But I don't think that Dudley gets caught behind the no, glass that's in the a, book. No, that's something that that's happens artistic in the artistic license. Movies. Yeah. 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 Um, which, you know, I, I think that was funny. Yeah. So, there you go. Yeah, me too. I liked it. So, yep. So, we learned some stuff. You know, Harry's got some power. And then, uh, chapter three, the letters from no one. And yes. this, and this I think, was, like, one of the first, like, really magical chapters. Yes. Like, the, like, the idea of owl post and, like, yeah. owls bringing you mail and, like, all of the these letters coming for Harry. Yes. And them knowing whether or not Harry actually received the letter. Exactly. And, and, and you know, as a kid, there's... Certainly for me, and I think for most people who read this book, it, there it, it captured this this dream of you know something happening to completely change your life for the better. Yeah, which is not to say that I I, I mean I wasn't unhappy. I didn't have a terrible childhood or anything. <laughs> right. Like, but 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 that does that's not to say that I didn't dream that I would get a letter and be told that I was actually a witch and you know could do magic. Oh, like every day yeah. of my childhood, <laughs> right? Or just like bringing. Like, the, like, I think this chapter does a really good job because there's this whole scene in this chapter about, mm-hmm. like, him coming out and Aunt Petunia dyeing his new um, school clothes, this mm, kind of gross mm-hmm, gray mm-hmm, color. Mm-hmm. And it's just so kind of that monotony, everyday life kind of, like, of this kid who has such a hard life. Yeah. It's kind of, like, what his everyday must be like in yeah. this house. And then all of a sudden, it just gets, like bombarded with magic like magic just springs totally. up out of nowhere and totally. i remember as a kid being like oh my god like yeah. this could just happen this like one day magic will just show up in my yeah. life it was um it was amazing and i think you know i think that's you know sort of geared more towards children who have had uh, a harder time than we did yeah but but i think who doesn't dream of you know be, being magical right Right, you could have the best childhood. I remember swimming when I was a kid and being like, one day I will just be a mermaid. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I was little. Like, just to, yeah, to like, like, like only like five or six years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Until I was 24. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. I still sometimes think I could yeah. be a mermaid. Yeah, yeah. You never it know. It still happen. <laughs> or a wizard. Yeah, we need to, we need to write. The, well, actually, this is a sidebar. We may cut this out, but have you, you haven't watched The Magicians not it's, yet, but I I've heard I need to. Well, it's it's a mixed bag. Okay. Um, there's things I really enjoy about it, and there's 
things that are like really nonsensical and stupid about it. Okay. Um, and they're also based on books, which I haven't read, but it's basically like Harry Potter, but for college students. So it's, oh. it's a little bit. So I can it, pretend to be a wizard in that world. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, so, you know, we could be like Quentin from the magicians who doesn't find out that he's, he's a magician. They don't call it wizards until, until he's like in his twenties. We could be those. We, we could be those people. Be those people. I did just go to a. It was definitely geared towards children event. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I went with another uh, friend my age. Yeah. Who because you know I don't know I feel like people at our generation we grew up with with this so yeah. we will be nerdy forever about it but yeah. it was like a Harry Potter event that was geared towards kids but we got to take like potions class and I bought a wand and like <laughs> of course I will never stop pretending to I be a wizard I can't wait to go to Harry Potter world someday oh someday yeah. someday so we've got the the letters coming and we're all getting really excited and, and yep. Vernon Dursley is trying his damnedest to keep Harry <laughs> This is just me hiccuping it, you know, early in the morning. <laughs> I've been hitting the sauce a little too much. Um, but so so they're going, and and so eventually Vernon goes crazy and uh, decides that they they need to they need to leave. Yeah, and I I think we were talking about this last night too, but that um, in the book there is more stages to leaving than in the film. Like in the film, he kind of goes from being bombarded with letters to all of a sudden being in this like crazy abandoned shack in the middle of nowhere. But I yeah. think in the book he tries to go a couple other places, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think they go to a hotel. Um, and they just keep finding Harry. Yeah. They just keep finding him. Okay. Yeah. Here it is. They, they're in a hotel and then he gets a letter that says Mr. H. Potter, room 17, Railview Hotel. Yeah. So. Yeah. So they, they find him wherever he is. So I feel like Uncle Vernon's madness makes a wee bit more sense in the book. Yes. Because there's a few stages to yeah, it. Yeah, he doesn't just go straight from in the house to an abandoned island. With like dirt all over the yeah. floor. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. a couple stages before before he goes totally crazy. Yes. Um. So there we go. Then chapter four, The Keeper of the Keys. And this and this yes. was another this is a great chapter transition, I believe. Because I think at the end of the letters from no one, chapter three, Harry's like happy birth you know, he like draws himself the birthday cake in the in the dirt. Or maybe that's just something in the movie, but he's counting down to his birthday because yes. it's about to be midnight. And, and then, nobody's remembering. Nobody's remembering. Oh, Harry. And then boom. Yeah. And suddenly Haggard comes in and it's the best birthday ever. Yeah. He, like, brought him a cake and... Yeah, that uh, was a great chapter yeah, transition. Yeah. 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 Um, which J.K. Rowling gets better at throughout the books, but this was one that was, like, that well done. Oh, yeah. Well done, J.K. Well done, J.K. And so so then there's... Hagrid comes and he, he tells Harry what's going on. Yeah, and is pretty indignant about the fact that the Dursleys have not told him anything about his parents or who he is. Yes, which is fair. But also, what were you expecting? Also, I think that's what Dumbledore was expecting, and that's I, why he left in there. I also think that. Yes. So then Harry finally gets to open his letter, and he learns about Hogwarts Learns School about Hogwarts. And witchcraft and wizardry, and uh, and things things are super exciting. Also, this is the first time, well, it's not the first time we hear the word muggle, but we, we learn what muggles are. Yes. And muggles are that's an amazing, amazing word. Yes. Um, I've always loved that word. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 
Um, so then, so then there's Hagrid. So let's so let's think about Hagrid and what wine Hagrid might drink. I love Hagrid as Hagrid, a character. Hagrid is like solidly one of the best characters in literature. I he think. is. And there was something I was I forget what it was, but I was reading this a, a while like <laughs> within the last month. But it was some article about how Dumbledore. And and let me disclaimer that yeah. I love Dumbledore and oh, yeah. love Dumbledore as a character. Yeah. But that he always is like conveniently gone or conveniently like things yeah, happen. Yeah. Puts Harry in tons of danger. Yeah. And like. then Hagrid, <laughs> it, like, it was talking about the scene, you know, where Hermione gets called a mudblood, uh-huh. and Hagrid is just like the in- most show. He shows up. He's supportive. He just loves these kids. That Hagrid is one of the biggest unsung heroes of yeah. the. You know, of the book, and I read an article about it, and I was like, "He is, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. love Hagrid. I love Hagrid." So let's think of like an unsung hero, grape or wine, and I think, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna re- probably talk about this later in the Harry Potter series, but I think that wine from Washington is super underrated, mm. and I think it's some of the best wine coming out of the United States right now, and you know, depending. But, like, I love Washington Merlot and Washington Cabernet. It's, like, a little more subtle than California wine. And uh, it's just, it's, like, really delicious and smooth and well-made. And, you know, again, depending. And so I think, I. but it, it's also, like, fierce and strong. And so I think, mm. I think it's a good. You're making me want to go drink some Washington wine. Well, we might have to go, go. Go get some. We'll do Washington that later. Wine. Yeah, yeah. We'll do that after <laughs> after I drink this sparkling rosé. <laughs> this is the brunch drink. That will yes. be the that'll be the the afternoon afternoon tea. afternoon tea drink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Harry learns, and then you know Dudley turn. I mean, Hagrid turns Dudley's tail or gives Dudley a tail. Yep. Another one of my favorite moments. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, and then he, you know, we find out that that Harry's going to go with Hagrid and start getting his school supplies. Yes. So chapter five, Diagonally. Diagonally. Ugh. JK with the names. I know. Perfect. And and so what so so this is, you know, basically where where Harry finds, you know, starts seeing magic for the first time. Yeah, and really believing like the chapter opens with him being like asleep and yeah. and thinking, when I open my eyes, I'm just gonna be under the cupboard again. Because yeah. I dreamed some giant came to take me away. And then it's like where he really believes and starts yeah. being like, oh, my God, I this really is, am a this wizard. Is this is real. You're a wizard, Harry. And so. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. And so. Um, and what what they don't show in the movie, but is in the book. The first the first like peer that Harry actually meets is Malfoy. Yeah, and they do not do it that way in the no, movie. No, they don't. He, he doesn't meet him until they're at Hogwarts. Yes. And but but I like this because, you know, he he he's not crazy about Malfoy in this in this scene where he meets him, I think in the, getting getting their school robes right, or whatever. Right. He's not crazy about him, but he's not like he was the most evil person in the world. No. And it's not until later that and it and I think part of that on on JK Rowling's part is like which way is Harry going to go? He yeah. could be a Slytherin. Yeah. I mean, and that's a theme throughout the whole series, yeah. right? Like Harry feeling like, well, the hat wanted to make me as, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that when we get yeah, to that chapter. For sure. But, um, but I, yeah, when he meets Malfoy for the first time, it's yeah. not that immediate hate yeah. that, that so wonderfully develops throughout yes. the rest of yes. the series. Mm. <laughs> the best, the best hate, love, hate relationship. And just, there's this amazing, just a hate relationship. Hate. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Hate. And well, it's sort of, Malfoy ends up, being not so well, bad in the well, end. Well, Malfoy, I, I actually think that Malfoy, the way that 
J.K. Rowling develops his character and his story is some of the most, like, interesting in the book. Because, Agreed. Like, and, and, like, what he has to face, and, like, particularly in book six, is, yeah. like, you really get to simp- sympathize with him, which you wouldn't think is possible. Right. And But you you see, both in the book and the film, the conflict about... I don't know. I, I guess feeling like he has to live this life he didn't exactly choose, but it's what he's well, always Malfoy's, known. And... Malfoy's a lot of show, and he's like trying to live up to his father's expectations. Yeah, and it doesn't really become real what is expected of him until the sixth book. And yeah, and um, and so well, you know, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But but I think he's a good example, even in the first book of, you know, that they say you have to be taught to there's that song from um <laughs> south pacific the musical i'm a musical nerd you but you have to be carefully yeah. taught. i remember that song very well because i played it on viola oh yeah, yeah. No. my mom used Before to sing it but you are six or seven, seven or eight. eight to hate all the people <laughs> your relatives hate you have to, to be, be carefully taught, taught. Yes, yes that one yeah. <laughs> I always <laughs> nice little musical little, interlude. Little, little musical interlude. Um, I always think Malfoy is a kind of good example of that because I feel like in this book, reading it as a kid, you hate him so much. Totally. Harry hates him. Everybody hates him. You think he's the worst. And then, yeah. as I mean, I get as we grew, but as he grows, you kind of realize, like, in a lot of ways, he was a. I mean, in most ways, he was a product of oh, his environment, and that when he's actually old enough to kind of see what it is he doesn't necessarily want to be a part of it but doesn't know how not to be anyway yeah i think about that with his character sometimes. yeah no absolutely and i i i think i think jk rowling does does some really good work with him me too um but so we're in diagon alley they go mm-hmm. to they go to gringotts gringotts which interestingly it's not it's not as bad in the first movie but when they go back to gringotts in i think the seventh movie yeah it's like a little and I don't know if, if J.K. Rowling intended this, but, like, all the goblins kind of look like, you know, little Jews, little Jewish bankers. A little bit. And, they do. and it's like, okay, is that, this, is, this is a little problematic. And and I don't think it was necessarily intentional on anyone's part. No. But I think but they should have thought about it yeah, a little more. Yeah, like, as Jews, <laughs> I certainly noticed that. Yeah. You certainly noticed yeah. that. I think... Um, Many yeah. Jews um, might notice. Yeah, yeah, might notice yeah. that. Yeah, there's there's a there's an aesthetic, and uh, and so anyway, almost all off fiddler on the roof. Yeah, like esque Jews running yeah. about, <laughs> but goblins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which hey man, goblin Jews, that sounds awesome. Yeah, but but like the fact that they're like money grubbing bankers is a little like okay. Yeah, like let's let's take a step back here yeah. and think about because so much so much of the book is about not being racist and not being bigoted and like yeah or like moving past your bigotry and then to have like this like little little like flavor like, of oh, anti-semitism yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you will if you will but I I don't think it's explicit in the books no like, I never I actually I felt think, that when I was reading no, the books no, I think it's just it's, something visually about the way they designed the um, the goblins the goblins yeah and again I still it's not like yeah it, I found it problematic enough yeah. to not love the movie which, but I noticed it which by the way I did not realize but I think what's his name Vern Vern Troyer 
the the actor who played who played Minnie Me in yeah. in Austin Powers. Yep. I think Burn Troyer is his name. He also played Grip Hook in the movie. So he's the like lead goblin. Oh and he, yeah. And he doesn't just... he also play wait, isn't it the same actor? I could be very wrong, so it's not Warwick Davis who plays Flitwick. Uh, oh Grip Hook. Yeah, Grip never Hook. mind. Yeah. I was yeah. Yeah, I was getting my characters yes. confused. Yes. Please excuse me. But also, me. Vern Troyer, I believe, died a couple months ago. So, R.I.P. Oh, R.I.P. But I was thinking of that um, Warwick Davis played several characters, including yes, he a did. bunch of the goblins, yeah, right? Yeah, he did. He, yeah. yeah. Or and, one of the goblins. or Maybe, probably several of the goblins and, like, a bunch of different other characters. Yeah, and yeah. So he, yeah, no, Warwick ex- Davis. Excuse my brain. Uh, fantastic. Brain and part. they also totally changed Flitwick's design in like, and I think the third movie, yeah, like, like he used to ha- he used to have like the frizzy white hair. Yes, he in did. the first couple movies, and then they changed him to like a slick black hair. Yes, they so do. I guess Flitwick got a little bit of a makeover. He was feeling a little frump. Yep, <laughs> and he's like, I'm gonna. <laughs> he I'm fabulous. Boxed hair dye. You know, I'm fabulous, <laughs> and I don't. I don't give a care. Yeah. I'm I'm fucking Flitwick. Yeah. So <laughs> he's like, I do what I want. I live my best life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You go, flip. You go. So okay. So this okay, whole so scene in Gringotts. So the whole scene, scene in Gringotts. We could go on about every scene in this book know, for like six hours. The two we of us together. To, I, I'm I'm starting to think this this one episode might turn into two episodes, which is totally fine. Um, <laughs> if you so, get if you get the Emma's going on Harry yeah. Potter, you can't shut them <laughs> <Yeah>. up. <laughs> once you once you pop, you can't stop. And this is where and this is where we see the ominous package in Vault Seven Thirteen, I believe. Yes. Uh, and Hagrid and Hagrid takes it and puts it in his pocket. Yes, and then uh, we don't hear about it for a while. Yes, but it is. But it comes back. It 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 is. In fact, curious that you know we don't hear anything about the Sorcerer's Stone for a really long time, but we do get this random little package. You know, yep. as kids, you were very smart if you made that connection. Yes, so, yes, yes. And then we've gotten to the scene where he meets that we just talked about, where he meets uh, Malfoy, and I didn't remember that. The first time he meets him, it says Harry was strongly reminded of Dudley. Mm. Um, so doesn't hate yeah. him. He doesn't immediately hate him as much, but he gets. But he does. He does. Hint of Dudley. Hint of Dudley. That yes. kind of bullying. Yes. Pushy. Yeah. Instinct. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And it's. And and Malfoy turns out to be a much more formidable uh, bully than than Dudley. Yes. And so he doesn't like him very much because he's rude to Hagrid. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so, so he, doesn't he starts like not him. liking him he because like him. he's rude to Hagrid. Yeah, that's yeah, because he's racist. And you yes. know, and the more I, and like the more and and again, I I'm I'm excited to reread all these books, but definitely in the movies, like all the Death Eaters are very much like Ku Klux Klan. Oh yeah, like like I I think it's a very thin thinly veiled metaphor for white supremacy. And I agree, and so you know like. You know, Malfoy always calls Hermione a mudblood, and yeah, and that whole thing about about um, I mean, to, to bring it, you know, but yeah. um, just letting the, the cat back in, but keep going. Hey, kitty. The whole thing about a mudblood, and that historically, how much of a different race's blood you have has been used to measure if you were acceptable or not. Like that happened in Nazi Germany. Yeah. With if you had, I think it's one grandparent, like if you were one quarter Jewish, you were a Jew. And, you know, I mean, in America, 
um, with segregation. Absolutely. It was if you had any blood. It was like yeah. this whole thing about blood. Yeah. Um, when ironically, all of us have lots of different, you know. Yeah. Um, We're all African. <laughs> it's a, yeah, yeah. It's a terrible <laughs> basis for deciding. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, to say, okay, terrible, to, but... we're not all African. We we all come from African yes. descent. Yes. I'm sorry. I did not mean to be, like, insensitive there. I knew what you meant. Yes, like, I we don't. all, <laughs> the human species originated yes. in Africa. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. So using blood is actually... It's a weird, it's a, you know, in a lot of ways, race is a construct and all, all of these things. And I think that the, how J.K. Rowling, I think, I think this was an amazing book to raise kids on because yeah. it, it does teach you not to be bigoted. Yeah. If you, if you read it right. If you oh, read hi. it right. And, <laughs> and making some of the best witches and wiz- wizards people who didn't come from these magical families and from. Kitty. Oh, she's going to, she's writing some Oop. notes. Oop. She's writing some notes on the computer. She did. She's really, she has some things to say about this she, book. She does indeed. Here. Here. This is. Okay. There you go. And before we get back into the book, I um, I remembered a couple of things about Chile as a wine region, which is the, the wine region that I am pairing with this book, um, the New World Wine Region. And part of what I, what I wanted to say was um, Chile is a really unique wine region for a couple of reasons. And one is that it's pretty much the only wine region in the world that seems to be immune to this thing called phylloxera. And phylloxera is this louse, this pest that has attacked vines all over the world at various points. And it was like a huge problem. And like, like California and, uh, well, less so California, but more so like Europe lost a ton of their vines. Oh, wow. Yeah. At one point. And, and, and every single country in the world that grows grows grapes seems mm-hmm. to be susceptible to it except for chile interesting maybe they're wizards there <gasps> i know i know so dramatic so, gasp i know, <gasps> I know. so I, I really hope so i really hope that there are wizards in chile i and, also like, hope and, so and that what they do so is chilean is, wizards is let grow, us know grow wine <laughs> or grow grapes and make wine chilean um, wine making wizards yep chilean please wine reach making out. wizards yep <laughs> tell please us you exist out. exactly we want uh, to tell hit us up yeah hit us up um <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so that's really cool, and um, it's just part of like how I think that Chile is slightly underrated as a region, and I think that there's there's like a lot of really great wine and affordable wine coming out of Chile. Um, and I just wanted because this is something that I do sometimes on the podcast, just give you some recommendations of producers to look mm-hmm. out for. Um, and so one that I really like is Conosur. They're they're a really big producer, but I think they make really solid wine that's usually very very affordable. Um, you know, usually between eight and at most fifteen dollars a bottle. Oh wow! Yeah. So yeah. and they're and they're good. Connoisseur. Connoisseur. So okay. so like connoisseur, but C O N O S U R. Connoisseur. And so I really like that that. Uh, company and I've been working with their wines for a long time. Um, and then there's also a company also with fairly affordable wines called Aras de Pirque. Um, they've got a horse. They they uh, also own horses. I think on the estate. Oh. Yeah, so they're pretty wine cool. and horses. Wine and horses. Two good things. Can't go wrong. No. Um, and and then also Torres. So so the the wine that we're drinking from Miguel Torres, um, again a Spanish company, but they have a branch for lack of a better word, in uh, in Chile. And so they make they make some awesome, really cool wine in Chile. So including a really good Carmenere. So 
there you go. I mean, again, if you like Carbonier, some people just don't like it. And that's cool. And that's fine. We can all like different things. We can all like different things. Why can't we just be cool? Yeah. Yeah. God. God. Okay. So. <laughs> so. We also get weird when we're together. We do. We do. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we have known each other for 25 years. So. Yes. Yeah. We have. Um, so. Uh, we now are getting introduced to Quidditch for the first time oh, in the book. sweet. Is this where, where Harry gets his Nimbus 2000? Is it? It might be. It's where. Yeah. I think. Doesn't. He asks Hagrid what. Quidditch is oh yeah no he doesn't he doesn't get it until later until I think when he's on the team, team? I think McGonagall buys him the Nimbus 2000 yes, yes. you don't know that it's her but she's but like, I think she secretly wink, does wink, it nudge, nudge. <laughs> wink wink know what I mean yes and so we find out about Quidditch Harry's excited about that he finds out that he's fucking loaded oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> see that would also be something I would like to yeah, find yeah, out at this I stage in my life I think that's also a dream and something you know I I've been so I've been listening a lot to the Potterless podcast with Mike Schubert, aka Shubes. Um, which if you are listening to this and you have not listened to Potterless, go subscribe and listen to Potterless. It's amazing. Um, but he he points out a lot of things as like an adult reading the books for the first time that didn't really occur to me as a kid, but also some some like larger overarching themes of like how Harry is super rich but doesn't but doesn't have a family. And meanwhile, like, Ron has the best family in the world, but they're dirt poor. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's like this interesting balance. And, you know, I think either one of them thinks they would give up what they have in a heartbeat for what the other one has. You yeah, know, which that's I, so interesting. Which I think is really interesting. And it doesn't come into play so much in the first few books, but once, once Ron and Harry grow up a little bit, um, and you get definitely more Do you mean- jealousy from Ron. Sorry, yes. I did not mean to cut you off. That's I just okay. mean, do you mean that with the friendship of Ron and Harry, each one would give up what the other one has or the family no, no, as no, a no. whole? No, each one would give up, with Ron and Harry specifically. Okay. Because... Each one would give up what they have. So Harry would give up being rich if he had his family. Had his family and, and Ron... Ron would give up, I mean, at least when he's younger, would give up his family to have, to be rich. Okay. That, that Maybe not give up his family, but like... But he feels... Um, um, like, he probably wouldn't give them up, but he feels a lot of envy about yes. Harry's yes. social status, fame, I, money, all of that stuff. Absolutely. And, there, and like, that's that's one of the great tensions and relationships of the of the series is Ron and Harry and how they deal with um, their their sort of envy of one another. And, yes. And, and Harry, Harry doesn't, like, his quote-unquote envy doesn't really show that much, but he definitely like kind of aches for his family and so yeah and I think it shows up sometimes when when Ron's envy shows which I think is actually something I I I feel like she developed their relationship really well in the in the books and I feel like that's something that would arise in a friendship over time like at first Ron is kind of in awe of oh my god I'm friends with Harry Potter and then it turns into like oh my god everyone's always giving all the attention to Harry Potter he has all the money right like you know People always love him and that that would be so natural and that maybe Harry's envy comes into play a little bit with how um, how upset he gets that Ron is having any feelings of envy mm-hmm. towards him because he doesn't think yeah. there's anything to be envious of. It, exactly. Exactly. And I do think, you know, I think that Ron starts out more as a foil for Malfoy mm. than, than so much as a foil for Harry. Yeah. Because it's like these are the two ends of the spectrum. Who is Harry going to choose to be his best friend? Right. And like it could be Malfoy. It's never going to be Malfoy. No. But like you, it could be and or Ron. And because they're like polar, polar opposites. Yeah. The whole so, like 
in the wizarding community, Malfoy feels that his family is the type of family like that is worth anything, and that family said, I think, doesn't he say at some point like their family like went ro- or I don't know? He says some dig he, about. He says he says something to Harry. He's like, "You'll find soon, Potter, that." You know, there's some wizarding families that are better than others. Oh yes, and I think that I think that's what he says is that some are better than others. Yeah, and uh, i.e., and... richer and more hateful. Yeah, but yeah, yep, yep, yep. Again, not too thinly veiled metaphor. Not too thinly and, veiled. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 you know, it's interesting because obviously this is a book that takes place in Britain, and so we we as Americans read it in a certain context. Yes, but I don't know. That J.K. Rowling was thinking so much ab- about, you know, like racism in America as she was thinking about like the class system and elitism in England. Yes, and also racism. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But it, so, it, there is a difference between the class system and yeah. and, and um, in England and the and race in America. But yeah. that but that that metaphor can be applied to both. Exactly. So anyway, all right. So. Let's let's maybe move move on. forward. Move forward. Moving let's forward. Move moving forward. forward. Oh oh and okay. So he last gets, but not least, he gets his he wand. gets his wand. That's we can't skip over that. No, we can't. <laughs> That's very important. And yes. obviously, you learn that he the wand that chooses him is uh, the core of isn't it, it's a phoenix feather. Yes. Right? And the phoenix obviously. gave two feathers. The one... phoenix gave two feathers. One one to Harry and one to Voldemort. Yeah. So. And that's very and that's very ominous, ominous and critical. Yes. And another example of J.K. Um, Rowling dropping hints about their connection from very early on in the books. Exactly, and or the continuing again, connection. Exactly, and again, I don't think that she necessarily knew exactly where she was gonna go. Yeah. Um. With with how intent with how their connection works, mm-hmm. but I do think it was very smart of her to drop from the beginning that there is there is a connection between them. Yeah, and like a physical, not just like a Voldemort still wants to kill him, but like right. there is an actual there, physical connection between yes. the two of them. Yes, that exists from which is again super dark, super dark, super dark. You have a physical connection with the person who killed your family. Yeah, and. It's not just in the sense that he wants to kill you too, and you want to kill him. It's like right. something deeper. Like you are than physically that. linked together. Yeah, and that's oh, that's so yeah. that's so intense. Yeah, when you're when you're a kid, you don't quite think about it no, like that. But as an don't. adult, I'm like, oh man, yeah, yeah, yuck. So, and so yes, so, so Mr. Ollivander, Mr. Ollivander, um, played by John Hurt in the movies, oh, whom I love. Oh, what a great actor! And uh, he also died recently. So, oh man, all the RIPs. I know. There's a lot of people who are in these movies who who are now who are gone I beyond, know beyond the veil. They've joined Sirius Black. Um, they have. And so, <laughs> I, I I assume that if you're listening to these episodes, you've read the books. So I'm not gonna bother with spoilers. I know. Yeah. yeah. It would be hard to listen to this episode without spoiling things. Yeah, yes. Or, or yes. make it without spoiling yeah. things. Pairing was created, produced, hosted, and edited by Emma Sherjarko, with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw, and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. If you'd like more information, links, and clarifications on what we talked about this episode, please check out the show notes. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. 
feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, or on any social media platform. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, read, drink, and be merry.